skin is a living part of your body and your largest organ. And as skincare experts for over 30 years, Dermalogica's number one focus is on empowering people to achieve their healthiest skin ever. Education is at the heart of everything we do. So our podcast brings advice from top skin health experts directly to you. Join us as we discuss research and skin technologies to help you get real results. Welcome to your skincare journey with Dermalogica. It's time to start living in your healthiest skin. Welcome to Living Skin. I'm Beth Bialco with Global Education, and we have back with us in the studio today our very own Dr. Diana Howard. Dr. Diana has been developing product and formulas and is the scientific power behind the brand all over the world for the past 23 years. She is the resident guru on everything science about the skin. And I've been lucky enough to work with her for the past four years here at our headquarters in Los Angeles. So welcome, Dr. Diana. Thank you. It's great to be here with you again, Beth. It is so great to have you back. And we love all of the science that you give to us because it really helps everyone relate to, to products, to their skin, and understanding what's happening now in the industry, but also to what's coming around the corner. So today's podcast is all about talking about global ingredient trends, and there's no one better to talk about this than Dr. Diana. So my first question is, you've been traveling the world um, a lot, lecturing on trends in the skincare industry. So what are some of the trends that you have seen that you'd like to share some more information about? Oh, we're all over the place in, uh, in this industry right now. The huge trend um, is K-beauty or Korean beauty. And that is actually, it kind of, it makes me laugh sometimes when I think about it. Um, because as a scientist and a, somebody who takes this industry very seriously and the science behind what makes up our skin and how we can improve and address the issues of our skin, you know, that's completely at the opposite end of the spectrum from understanding how pollution affects our skin and understanding uh, how the microbiome, those natural microflora that lives on our skin, how that affects our skin, and something called epigenetics. So all of these are very high tech, mm -hmm. um, but then, as I said, you have the other end of the spectrum, which is a little bit more frivolous and fun in the whole K-beauty concept. So everything seems to be going in this industry right now. Mm -hmm. And certain countries are more focused on one aspect or another. In the United States, we tend to be more on the technology-driven side. Uh, but that's not to say that K-Beauty hasn't made inroads in the United States. It certainly has. So when we think about a lot of these trends that are coming, um, coming up, and like you said, here in the United States and other countries, there's always these questions about ingredients. I know, I think a lot of our listeners, when they're even shopping for their skincare products or wanting to know what's the latest, greatest, you know, hottest, most exotic ingredient out there, I think it can be a little overwhelming. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard to decipher between what's fact and what's really fiction. So let's talk about some of these ingredients. What are some of the more interesting or exotic ingredients that you've seen pop up in skincare? Well, you know, it's funny because about, oh, six, seven years ago, 
people were talking about in Japan, they were using nightingale poop, and um, you know the, the editors around the world were all in a buzz over that. Um, and then it evolved to um, snail slime, and that's that's still being used and um, in a lot of products around. And then of course um, you have bee venom and snake venom. And what I've actually seen is, well, a lot of these things might be in the industry. When a celebrity picks up on one of these products that might have bee venom, mm -hmm. you know, when Kate Middleton just married um, and she was going for bee venom facials, all of a sudden you couldn't get a bee venom product. Everybody was out of stock with them. So it depends on what celebrity and what how the press or social media has really um, made something people made people aware of it, that then it becomes very, very popular. So, you know, one of the things we do at the International Dermal Institute is we t make it our business to get our hands on all the research on these exotic ingredients. For example, one of the things that we looked at in, in depth was the bee venom and the snail slime. Because, you know, I was looking at it thinking, okay, what is the scientific basis behind this, if there is any? Mm -hmm. And it's, quite, it's actually quite fascinating because the um, snail slime first came about from the escargot industry. You know, this is people who were raising snails and they were shipping them off, canning them and shipping them off to France, where escargot is obviously a big delicacy. And what they found is the people who were packing the snails were, had very, very soft hands. And so they, some scientists looked into it, and they found that the um, snail slime actually contained things like glycolic acid. It contained ingredients that really accounted for why it made the skin so smooth. And the scientists looked into what was the benefit of snail slime. If you were to take that snail slime and concentrate it and extract out all the actives, what did it do for the skin? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, they found that it did increase cell turnover and it treated hyperpigmentation. It even stimulated collagen synthesis in the skin. Um, it was an anti-inflammatory as well as an antioxidant. It, you know, it hydrated the skin. It, it did all these beneficial things for the skin and that was attributed to a lot of the actives they found in the snail slime, the glycolic acid, the hyaluronic acid, the allantoin and the enzymes. And you know, so th I was really fascinated with that because it was actually published in pharmacology journals. And what I found was that these studies were all done in vitro, which means in test tubes. And so the question then begs, wait a minute, that's all well and good that it might, if you put cells in a test tube and see how their rate of turnover is, mm -hmm. but what happens when you put it in a lotion or cream and topically apply it to the skin? Right. Is the same thing happening? And that's what we call in vivo studies. And to the best of my knowledge, there haven't been any in vivo studies. So while it works in a test tube with a few cells, you know, the question then begs, what is the concentration you need in the lotion or potion to get that same effect imparted onto the skin? So snail slime has potential, but I'm not quite sure that snail slime cream is gonna do the same thing. Right. Another one that I looked into because this is, goes back hundreds of years, and that is the use of bee venom. There's actually this whole discipline called apotherapy, which is st the study of all things related to bees, whether it's using royal jelly or, in the, in the case of 
bee venom, there's, you know, we, if you've been stung by a bee, a bee you know what mm -hmm. happens. You, the bee stings you, the stinger gets in your skin, right. and it causes um, pain and inflammation and swelling, and that triggers the immune system and the repair system in your skin to everything is, you know, green light, full bore, let's protect and repair the skin. And so scientists studied what is it about that stinger or that bee venom that triggers this response in the skin. And lo and behold, they found this peptide called melatonin that literally stimulates our immune system. This melatonin is what's responsible for, you know, when you get stung by a bee, it's a lingering pain. It doesn't go away in a minute or two. You may feel, you know, it may smart for about an hour or so. And a lot of this is due to the peptide that is breaking down the cell membranes in your skin and it's triggering your immune response. It increases the circulation, which causes the redness and the swelling. And all of this is, you know, part of the repair um, process because, you know, you've just been insulted by this bee venom. And that's a good thing. And, and the interesting thing is, is some companies have then capitalized this. They've raise these bees on glass plates and they put this electrical charge through the glass plate which causes the bee to release the stinger and the venom and then they collect this bee venom and they put it into lotions and creams and these are bee venom based products you know the question is we you know we know about melatonin when we study it in its, in its crude form, its neat form. But what happens when it's in a lotion or cream once right. again? You would need a very significant amount in that cream or lotion uh, to get the same response that we see in you know, the laboratory in a test tube. And there's also the issue that before you use any bee venom product on a client or even on yourself, you need to be aware of the fact that 2% of the population at large are allergic to bee venom. So the last thing you want to do is be putting a cream on somebody that contains a significant amount of bee venom, and unbeknownst to you, they have an allergic reaction right. to the bee venom. So while there is some legitimate science and, and our understanding of how this melatonin in bee venom or how all these actives in snail slime work in the laboratory, there's not exactly a convincing amount of information as to once they're formulated in a finished product, what it does for, to benefit the skin. So there's definitely still that very gray area. So just because it works in the lab, does not guarantee that it's going to work when you put it in the lotion. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. So I think there, um, there are so many of these kind of interesting and exotic ingredients out there that, like you said, that do have some, some science behind them, but how well they work is to be, is really to be, to be found out. And I think going back to the bee venom, like you said, if they have, if they're allergic to that and you would apply that to the skin, um, that could be very dangerous. So I know that you also too have some real concerns over ingredients that are being promoted or being used in skincare. And I've even heard you refer to this in the office here as junk science. So 
let's just go down that route. I'd be interested to have you share that with our listeners today. Okay. <laughs> um, I get it's probably the one thing that drives me crazy in this industry. Um, and I, I recognize not everybody is a scientist, and maybe I'm cynical when I look at some of the marketing claims that I see mm-hmm. out there in our industry. Yeah. And what gets me nuts is when somebody takes advantage of the fact that there are certain buzzwords out there like stem cells uh, and Botox. And everybody, unless you've been living under a rock, you know, you've heard the word stem cells with regards to, you know, cancer research. And, you know, everybody knows that what a stem cell is. Not really exactly what a stem cell is, but they know that it's a critical component in the scientific community as far as the research avenues and, and for curing a lot of diseases. But what makes me nuts is when somebody takes that word and and capitalizes on it in a way that's not really legitimate science. Let me give you an example. And I think stem cell is, is the best example here. Okay. So we as the public at large know what, have heard the word stem cell. However, there are companies that say that they are using plant stem cells to help fight the signs of aging in skin. Now, you know, Beth, you've known me for many years. I'm a plant biologist, plant biochemist. I have my PhD in plant biochemistry. So I have studied um, plants for years and years and years, and I understand their physiology and the biochemistry of plants. When you cut a plant, let's say you're going to make a cutting for any of you um, amateur gardeners in the group. Um, You cut a plant, you're going to kind of grow a, a new cutting from this plant. You make an incision with a scissor and you stick it in a thing of water and in a week or so you look in that thing of water and where you cut that plant has new roots that weren't there when you originally cut it. What you did is you injured the plant when you cut it and plants have an amazing ability to de-differentiate. When you cut that plant to make the cutting, you triggered its stem cells to now de-differentiate. And so now root cells are going to form. Now, uh, what is a stem cell? A stem cell is a cell that can differentiate into any other type of cell. So in in a plant, it might be a, a stem cell could form root cells, it can form flower cells, it can form pollen cells, any type of cell that is in the plant. In the humans, a stem cell might be able to form a tooth or hair or skin tissue or bone. So it has the capability of being any, any type of cell. Mm-hmm. And the key that scientists want to understand is how do we control the differentiation of stem cells so that we can force them to form a particular type of tissue. And we do this in the burn industry. You know, we take a human stem cell and we can grow it in the laboratory. I can take your stem cells, Beth, Mm -hmm. grow it in the laboratory. In a couple of weeks, I can have sheets of skin that are your genetic makeup. So if you were burnt, you could use your own skin tissue, the cells that we grew in the laboratory, to repair your burnt tissue. And so you avoid the rejection issue, okay? Mm -hmm. So people are aware of this. Now, with going back to the plants, because that's what they're using in our industry, you have wounded the plant, you put it in a solution of nutrient broth, and it grows stem cells, okay? And there might be vitamins and things, amino acids in that broth, so it's giving it everything it needs to grow. Okay. 
And then they harvest this and cultivate it, and they put it in a, as an extract of plant stem cells, and there's apple stem cells. There's all different types of stem cells they use. And they use this in a skincare lotion or cream. The problem is, while you can say it might be apple stem cells, they don't really have any benefit to the human body. I mean, think about when I just said to you, we can grow tissue to help you right. and you don't have to reject, your body won't reject it. You're, you know, that's how critical it is when you're putting tissue on, human, on the human body. You don't want that ability for rejection. Plants are not the same species as a human being. So right. we've got that issue to begin with. You have the issue that the broth that they're using probably doesn't even have any stem cells in it. It's just a nutrient broth that stem cells are growing in. And even if it did have the plant stem cells, they can't, your body can't use them. So it's really playing up on a concept that people are aware of what the word stem cell is, but it in fact, unfortunately, isn't going to do anything beneficial for your skin. But people don't know that. And unless you're a right. scientist, you wouldn't know that. No, so exactly. to me, that is really taking advantage of individuals. It's why I call it junk science. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, you know, it really, I've, I personally, you know, the FDA gets crazy when the cosmetic industry puts ingredients in formulas that stimulate collagen. Um, the FDA could stop any manufacturer from making that claim because that is a drug claim. To me, the stem, they ought to go after the stem cell industry. People using stem cells uh, are claiming they're using plant stem cells to fight the signs of aging because that is completely bogus science and very misleading to consumers who, unless you're a scientist, you really wouldn't know. You'd think, well, wow, that sounds good. Right. But you wouldn't know different. No, you wouldn't. Because, again, like you said, it's just for the average consumer, you know, there, you know, we're looking for something that's going to help, whether it's fine lines, deep lines, aging, anything that can help the skin look right, look better. And if it sounds good, sometimes you think, well, it must be good. But it doesn't exactly. always mean that. Got to have the science behind it. So speaking of aging, another huge thing, of course, in the industry is um, are doing injections, injectables, mm -hmm. fillers. Um, but we've also seen some claims out there talking about utilizing creams or serums that are supposed to have a replicating effect of Botox. So I think that's a little confusing because we obviously a lot of Botox for injections for around, you know, in the face. But could you define the differences between what does that mean if someone is saying in a product that you can apply this cream and it's, it's, it's better than Botox or Botox in a jar. Could you take us down that? You know, that's probably another area that has really infuriated me over the years because you have to understand how Botox works. Okay. And um, if you went to a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon to have an injection of Botox, and if you've talked with your friends, you know that one of the things they say is you've got to get somebody who really knows how to do the injection right. right. Because the way Botox works is where the nerve interfaces with the muscle, there are these little vesicles that a chemical is released. And the nerve releases this chemical when an impulse goes down that nerve. 
and it's got a receptor on the muscle which it binds with and it causes the muscle to contract and that's how you know if you that's how you get a stimulus going down a nerve causing your muscle to contract to to move okay and when you use botox what you do is you stop the release of that chemical so the muscle doesn't contract because that chemical hasn't been released and so it's critical that the person who's injecting the botox gets it at the exact right point of where the nerve and the muscle at that particular place, such as your frown lines or around the eye area, it's got to be in the right spot. Otherwise, you can have a droopy eye. And we've all seen people who walk around right. not know, a good looking look. very <laughs> odd. No, not a good look. So that's how critical it is to get this injection of Botox in the right spot. So then you have to say, well, okay, so people have products on the market that they claim are better than Botox, which really infuriates me. And they are chemicals that they use. There are a lot of them. There's a chemical called acetylhexapeptide, or argireline is another one. There's things called SNAP8. There's even a Sinaki or a Temple Viper venom. These are all in that category, and they're in a lotion or cream. And they claim if you topically apply it mm -hmm. to your frown lines or around your eye area, it's going to do the same thing that an injected Botox would do. So if I apply this cream over top of my, my number 11s, my frown yes. lines, that I'm not going to be able to have such a strong contraction or furrowing of Correct. my brow. Okay. But the problem is... Yeah. First of all, the molecules don't penetrate to get, I mean, we're talking, you have to get way down deep. Exactly. Even way in the dermis where the nerve and the muscle are interfacing. So the odds are it's not getting that deep. And on top of that, it's so critical that you get the Botox at the precise point. How can a topical cream with actives, I don't care what the active is, right. how can it get targeted there? And if you do put it around the whole area of your eye and it's doing what they say it's going to do, why isn't your whole eye frowning? So the reality is, and, and I've spoken with people around the world who say, but I've used this product and it really, it did help me. You know, it usually has hyaluronic acid in there. It probably has niacinamide in there. It probably has retinol in there. It's okay. probably got vitamin C in there. These other actives are probably what might be improving your skin. But as far as being better than Botox, it's, it's really impossible for it to do the exact same thing that Botox is doing when you topically apply it. Now, that said, I will, I will point out, about five years ago, there was an organization that was studying a topical Botox molecule. And this was a molecule that folded up, and then when it was applied to the skin, and it penetrated, and then it unfolded. They never came to market with the product, okay. which makes me think that they were never able to perfect it. Okay. I promise you, if you could do a topical Botox, the pharmaceutical industry is going to be the first to do it, not the cosmetic industry. And it bothers me that when manufacturers are out there making these claims, it ruins the credibility of our industry. There's a okay. lot of really credible, fantastic science being done in the cosmetic industry. Let's stick to that. Mm -hmm. Let's take this junk science, whether it be the better than Botox or the stem cell, that's not helping our industry. It's ruining our credibility. Consumers deserve better. 
our professional skincare industry should be aware of, you know, if they're selling that to their customers, their clients, right. you know, it's affecting their credibility as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, consumers aren't stupid, you know, and this whole better than Botox thing, it really, you know, when you look at all the internet um, commercials and the infomercials that talk and show this type of product out there, mm -hmm. um, it really does undermine our industry at large, you know, because a lot of it is not legitimate science or based on legitimate science. So really the consumer and the professional skin therapist, they need to do their research, right? They need to ask the questions and, and you know, it's kind of like sometimes if if it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. <laughs> You've prob got that one right, Beth. It probably is. Um, are there some ingredients that are in our industry now that you are excited about, that you have seen some, you know, wonderful, uh, whether it's research, so whether it's results, studies out there that you want to share with us, or maybe even some of your personal favorite ingredients that you feel definitely get the results on the skin that we're looking for. You know, it's funny because one of the ingredients that so much science is, is supporting these days is retinol. Now, we retinol's been in yes. our industry for 40 years. Mm -hmm. But we now understand the mechanism of action, how it, how it affects our skin, the physiology of the skin, the structure of the skin. We are learning so much about retinol that it's, it's so exciting to me because we can deliver retinol in an encapsulated form, ideally because that makes it most stable, that really is gonna make a difference in reversing the signs of aging. That in conjunction with you know niacinamide, which mm -hmm. is a vitamin B3, or, you know, the active form of niacin. That, those two ingredients alone deliver such incredible results. And, and recent studies where they've looked at niacinamide combined with curcuminoids, and curcuminoids are from that root, the curc uh, curcuma root, which mm -hmm. looks like ginger. These actives are absolutely incredible. And have, there have been studies that have shown when you combine these two together, you can really reverse the signs of aging. So, you know, when I look for ingredients that I personally want to use on my skin, you know, fighting the signs of aging, I'm going for the uh, retinols. I'm going for the niacinamides, the curcuminoids, the yeast cell extracts. You know, that's another one that's been around for years. As a matter of fact, the very first burn ointment that was ever made in the 40s used yeast biodynes. Well, we're now learning that not only does yeast cell extract act as a wound healing agent and, and soothes the skin and is an anti-inflammatory, but it stimulates the skin's natural biosynthesis of hyaluronic acid. So more and more studies are being done to support the use of ingredients that we have used for 20, 30 years, but we can substantiate the science so much more today. So, you know, there's plenty of ingredients we can use that are gonna deliver really excellent results. Let's leave the junk science alone, you know? that We don't need to delve into that. We can right. stay focused on the ingredients that really deliver results to our skin. Right, those ingredients that really work, right? The best of nature's pharmacy accelerated by true science. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Dr. Diana, thank you so much for yet an amazing session. 
I think this was so helpful to have our listeners tune into to really, you know, understand, you know, what's fact, what's fiction, what's working. And again, we can't thank you enough for spending the time with us here. And we can't wait to have you back. My pleasure. Thank you, Beth. I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion. And if there are any other skin topics that you would like us to include in a future podcast, send us an email to livingskinpod at dermalogica.com. Thank you for listening to Living Skin. You can find us on iTunes and the podcast section of Google Play Music. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. For more information, visit dermalogica.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.